So good morning, church family. Great to see everyone once again. And welcome to you if you're new to our church family. Welcome to the family. So glad that you also are here. And I don't know about you, but that uh, promo is pretty intense. If you weren't anxious before, maybe you are now. I don't know. But isn't that the way anxiety can feel? That there's just too much going on. It's too much for life to handle. And maybe you've even been in that situation, waking up late at night because of all that is going on. Here's a place to be real. Just raise your hand if you've ever struggled with a sense of anxiety or overwhelmment too much for you to bear with. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's clear the air about how anxiety is affecting our society. I was doing some generational studies, and some of you might have heard of Gen Z. Gen Z are people 16 through 22 right now. And there's some studies they're doing about those who are uh, that age group uh, being affected by anxiety. Uh, Published by the Wall Street Journal was this graph. It says, these are the adults who report feeling anxious or nervous at least once in the past month. You have the greatest generation down here, right? That's what they're called. The boomers, some of you know. Gen X, the middle, the millennials. But look at Gen, Gen Z. Over half, at least once a month, are struggling, wrestling with extreme periods of anxiety. Side note, I always think that the younger generations can learn from the older, if you have enough humility, and that the older can teach. Maybe there's opportunity there. But, but to go on, more studies will reveal that this is really affecting their mental health. That some of the Gen Zers who are going to jobs get so stressed out about a new job, they're ghosting their employers. And some of you know what ghosting means. I'll I'll inform you. Ghosting means not showing up or communicating, right? Um, They have a new job. Instead of uh, telling the boss what's going on, they just don't do anything. They ghost. Others uh, report on college campuses how this is affecting. Newsweek reported this, that in colleges across the nation, health uh, health service workers are besieged by stressed out students in need of mental health support. Now, we could deduce and conjecture why this is, what's going on in our generation. If this is something you're interested in, I recommend a book called iGen. And iGen is a a book that's studying the effect of social media and cell phone use uh, among the next generation, how it does affect us. Um, But for me, I kind of got a kick out of uh, this Facebook post, because I think there's something to it, that when the phone was tied with a wire, humans were free. Can I get an amen? Right, right. Because we're inundated. I don't know. I, I have my cell phone here. Sometimes I'll preach and there's a vibration in my pocket that just stresses me out, right? You know what it's like. In fact, uh, it, it's common also among celebrities. Um, here I, I need to refer to the, the baby boomers in the, the greatest generation. Do you know a guy named Donny Osmond? Some of you do, yep. A Joseph and the American Technicolor Dream, Dreamcoat. It's a great, great musical. Uh, played it for, for years. But he reports that one time while he was on stage, he was actually intermittently struggling with panic attacks. And can you imagine struggling with panic attacks and then having to go on stage? And in fact, this is how Donny Osmond put it. So here's a picture of him for you young people. Uh, There he is. Um, He says, unless you've suffered from panic attacks, social anxiety disorders, which is what I was diagnosed as having, it's hard to explain it. But you go on stage knowing you're actually physically going to die. You will keel over and die. That is how intense it can feel, right? For a younger generation, maybe you've heard of Missy Elliott. Maybe, I don't know. 
Um, and, and she was a Super Bowl performer in 2015. Here's a picture. But before uh, performing uh, that night before, she had tremendous panic attacks, tremendous anxiety. Maybe you would too if you're going to perform for so many the next day, but um, she relates to this. So I guess what's your experience? I know there are some who probably, you don't have to raise your hand, have had a panic attack. It's common. I know for some, maybe it was a, a social situation where you just didn't feel safe and there was this overwhelming sense that there was just too much going on and you needed to get away. For some of you, maybe it was, you remember as a kid, being away from your parents or dropped off at college for the first time, just being alone. For some of you, maybe it's that new job. Have you ever had a new job of going in and, and trying to prove yourself while also internally knowing your, your doubts and insecurities, um, that dynamic? There are so many things that can create anxiety. In fact, this series is really based from another pastor. His name is Craig Rochelle uh, from Life Church. leads one of the biggest churches. And, and the reason he did this series is because he struggled with anxiety. And this is why. He had a schedule that was so filled with activity. He produced over 16 sermons in the month of May. He gave his daughter away as a bride for a wedding. He did a conference in New Zealand. And he was fine all during the month of May, but his schedule caught up to him, and in June he crashed. And he relates that he couldn't think of one more creative thought. A, a man who had put together so many sermon series couldn't do one more thing because he ran himself so ragged. A cautionary tale for some of you who might be doing the same. And anxiety crept up. And he needed to see a Christian counselor. You know, it kind of reminds me of, of why God might have pastors lead a church or regular people in the church. Because that's sometimes what I ask. I'm like, Jesus, if you had preached today, I'm pretty sure it'd be better. Um, but maybe he has regular people around you and even in the church to relate to weakness. To relate to humanity. To give an understanding that, that this is just regular and normal. And so this is the first takeaway if you've ever struggled with anxiety. It's just simply saying, you are not alone. You're not alone. In fact, if you'd permit me, could you turn to the person next to you, give them a high five and just tell them you're not alone? You are not alone. Not at all. This is normative. You're not more broken than the rest of us. You're not beyond hope. You are not alone. And so I guess I could say amen and that'd be enough, right? Well, good. It's a problem. See you next Sunday. But that's not what I've came here for. I believe God has a word for us. I believe there's power in the word of God and what the Holy Spirit can do as he uses that word on our hearts. And I'm so excited to share that with you. I'm so excited to then dwell deeply in the word of God, what he's revealed so we can, again, be anxious for nothing. But before I get to the word, I need to just give a quick caveat. And the quick caveat is this. I don't want to oversimplify a complicated issue. And so I know in our time together, we are only going to look at the spiritual lens, but I would advise to you, if this is a real struggle, to also see a doctor and maybe a Christian counselor and look at it holistically. To think about how your physiological state affects things, whether it be your diet, your sleep patterns, any other thing, consult with others as well. While I would tell you every problem is a spiritual problem, I would also tell you that physiological things are a matter as well. God made us with emotions and a body, 
those should be consulted too. Does that make sense? So I don't want to oversimplify a complicated issue. But I do want to get into the power of God's word. So we're going to consider uh, two sections. Uh, one is by Peter, and, and Peter writes to people who are being persecuted for the faith. In his letter, he, he understands, he empathizes, you are suffering uh, trials and griefs of many kind because of your faith. And, and some of you Christians can relate to that, times when it's been hard to live for Jesus. So he writes something. And then Paul is the other one. He writes to Christians in Philippi, but he's in prison awaiting a trial, and we know he ends in death. He's going to have a martyr's death, probably at the hands of Nero in the Colosseum, but he's in prison. If there's something to be anxious about, that's something. And to both of these dynamics, Peter and Paul encourage us with some incredible words. You ready to get into it? Something we do is we just recognize God is speaking to us through these words. So I'm going to invite you to please stand just in honor of the word of God that he is actually, again, using this to speak into our hearts. In 1 Peter it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then Paul, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, and, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, the powerful word of God. Could you turn to the person next to you one more time and tell them there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing more powerful. And you can be seated. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. That's what we get to talk about. Ready to have fun through the lens of God's word? All right. I do love cars, even though I drive a Prius and a van. I do love them. You know, sometimes I'm just like by the gym and I recognize like a sports car. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't have it. I, don't, I won't ever own it, but I'm glad that you do. That's beautiful. <laughs> right? And while I really, really love cars, there's something about the experience of cars that I don't love, and uh, that is this. Now, anyone want to be honest here? Does anyone have this going on in their car right now? Yeah. In both of our cars. It's, it's in both. And, and so it's kind of like a sign of the times, like, because it goes on and off. Like, so it's like, it's a good day. It's not on. The world is falling apart and turned on again. And go with me of what a check engine light is. A check engine light is not the problem itself. It is simply an alert that there is a problem, right? So it's not like getting that light off is really my main problem. You know, I could do that electrically somehow and maybe find the fuse. It's just telling me, no, there's something in the engine. I heard maybe it's just a catalytic converter or a gas cap, by the way, perhaps. Uh, but there's something other going on that I got to pay attention to. It's just a reminder that maybe I should consult with a mechanic and get this taken care of, right? The check engine light on. Well, go with me here. Um, anxiety will come in a sinful world. We're going to have those periods where it just feels like life is too much. But that, that feeling itself is just the light. The feeling itself is not the problem. It's just a signal that there's something deeper going on and maybe a signal that we should do something. In fact, one of the takeaways that I'd love for you to think about 
is that when anxiety comes, it is simply a reminder. Just like the check engine light is, go see the mechanic. So when I'm feeling this way, it's a reminder, man, I better pause and I better pray. And you know, we, we live with a ton of different reminders. Um, I don't know how many of you kids are reminded by your parents to do your homework or to wake up at a certain time. That, that's a season, by the way. That's going to end. Um, I, I recently had an Apple Watch. This was borrowed to me. And uh, th- this gives me a reminder of times that I should stand. Some of you know what that's like. You know, the reminder that you should move, right? And so what if we just today reframed our experience with anxiety? We said we're going to be okay, but it's just simply, it's just simply this, this reminder that I have to do something, that it is my time to pause, it is my time to pray, and as often as I'm anxious, I now pray and give this to the Lord. And isn't that exactly what Peter told us to do? So, so Peter said this. Peter said, I want you to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to cast it, hurl it, throw it on him. When, when I have it, I throw it on him. And friends, because I love you, I wanted to give you an illustration that will hopefully stick in your minds with this. So I have created God's shoulders over here. Some of you see that. And my sticky pads. And I'm going to face them this way. And then we have the worries of life, these little tennis balls. And sometimes, you know, I'm driving and I'm thinking of everything that I have to do at work and I just get overwhelmed on my way to work because I don't know, is the mood going to be okay? Am I going to have enough power? And God says, when that comes, you got to throw it, no, <laughs> on him. And it sticks. Or maybe for you, it's, it's your schedule that has gotten caught up with you and, and you're getting run down and you're feeling anxious and God says, throw it, No. See, that's what happens in life. Sometimes you want to give it to a friend, but you shouldn't give it to a friend, friends. You should give it to God and throw it. And you shouldn't take it back. He says, my shoulders, they're big enough. My shoulders carry anything and everything you got. How often as it comes, that's how often we throw it to God. And I know that's a period of silliness, but I hope that for some of you, this sticks in your mind this week. I got the alert. I got the feeling. I got to throw it. This isn't mine. I got to throw it to God. I got to throw it to God as often as it comes. I got to throw it through prayer to God. And you know who this reminds me of? Jesus. Do you know Jesus, too, experienced a period of overwhelmment? Jesus, on Monday, Thursday, before he would give his life on the cross, he said that, that life got so hard for him. Th- this is what he told his disciples. That my soul, it's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It feels like I'm drowning here. It feels like I'm going to die. It, it feels so much because he knew what was coming. But look what also he does. He says, stay here and keep watch. You know, at Amazing Love, we're implementing something new. And honestly, if your background is a bit traditional, this might um, rub you in some ways. Um, Just want to, you know. But what we're going to do after service is we're going to have prayer leaders praying for the people. Uh, After every service, we're going to have an opportunity that if you want what Jesus wanted, which was friends praying for you, you have that opportunity here at Amazing Love. 
for any and everything, for all those periods that you might feel overwhelmed. And so we encourage you to take us up on the opportunity to be prayed for. Jesus himself wanted that. But when he was anxious, he not only asked others to pray, but then what does he do? He goes to the garden, and this is what he says. It's a beautiful prayer. He says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And that just reminds me, I feel like Jesus is kind of like, God, if I could throw this, I, I don't want it. You know, and maybe he had the experience where that's just what he'd done in the past. God, this is too much. I don't want it. This is too much. I don't want it. This is too much. I don't want it. And while in this circumstance, it wouldn't be taken, it didn't stop Jesus from casting this anxiety on the Lord. In fact, what we learn from Luke is this, that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him from it. Maybe the cup couldn't be taken away, but strength was given just as he consulted with the Father and he prayed to the Father, how good is our God? And I guess I bring this up because what's normative when you're anxious? Do you always handle anxiety the right way? Would anyone admit that? That, yeah, when it comes to anxiety, I just got to nail that. I just always do this. Friends, isn't it more common that, you know, sometimes I call up a friend, right? And we got to go get coffee and I got to vent and I just got to tell you what is going on, right? That's not bad. Or sometimes we, we try different forms of escape. You know, and it could be a hobby that we escape to. It could be entertainment that we escape to. It could be sports that we escape to. You know, something that will get my mind off of what has gotten me down. Sometimes we cope in very healthy ways. And if I'm really honest, sometimes we cope in really unhealthy ways. Right? And that's why I'm reminded of the lyrics of the song we sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Hear these lyrics once again. This is so common to our experience. It says, oh, the peace we often forfeit, the needless pain we bear, because we do not carry, and here, throw, cast, everything to God in prayer. And so here again is our opportunity just to repent and say, God, I'm not a completed work yet. God, I don't always get this right, but Lord, I repent and I change my mind about it. I'm going to change my mind about it, and I'm going to say I don't want to do that anymore. I want to rely on you. I want to come to you because I know you're honored by it and I know you're big enough. I was reading the Bible this past week and there's a man named Cornelius who is actually praised by God for just coming in prayer often and often and often. He was praised not only for gifts to the poor but also for his prayer life coming often to the Lord. He's honored by us coming to him. And friends, if you've ever been feeling guilty about this, I want to remind you also of Jesus. Jesus, who is not just our example, though he is. I want to proclaim to you that Jesus is primarily our Savior. Jesus is the one who gets it right for us so that we could be redeemed. See, the story of this church is not about people who have fixed everything and got it all together. It's by going to the one who does fix everything and the one who is the healer. And Jesus paid for our redemption through his own panic attack. Jesus shed his blood on the cross, and that is the price of peace that has been paid. Do you know you have the right for peace? 
And I'll remind you, even if you're new to church, new to Christianity, in the name of Jesus, you have the right to peace today. The bloodshed was shed for you today. To be renewed, to be released, to be free before God and stand in grace. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says that Jesus himself is our peace. How awesome. That's ours. But going forward, what if we did this? What would it look like? How would we feel? How would the world change if every time I felt I threw it off? You know, Scripture gives us a wonderful picture of this. And it's kind of a weird picture um, because this picture has to do with jail. Okay, you know, go with me here. Now, now we understand the concept of jail, uh, especially through uh, Illinois governors. Um, we know the concept of jail. Um, but the concept is that you cannot get out because someone is guarding it. And they will not release you. And it seems like Trump's commutation is not going to work for Rod Blagojevich. I don't know. But, but the idea of jail is there's a guard there that's not going to let you in. That is the exact picture that Scripture gives. Picture says that we're going to lock up, not Rod Blagojevich, but our hearts and our minds. Here's what it says. It says there's something that will guard your hearts and your minds. Your hearts and minds are going to be locked up in a jail. Now, who's the guard? What did the passage say? The full passage says this. It says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this idea that in Jesus Christ, I get to get my heart and my mind here. And the peace of God is carrying the keys. I love the idea that if the devil comes knocking saying, hey, hey, I want their heart and their mind, the peace of God says, uh-uh, I'm not letting you in. I love it when I hear negative things about me or I have insecurities about myself. The peace of God says, uh-uh, not going to let you in. I love it when the devil tries to tempt us or to accuse us or to get us to live with guilt, fear, and shame. Uh, the peace of God says, uh-uh. That's my child. This is what happens when we pray. Peace will stand watch over our hearts and our minds. Because that passage, there was a passage that came before it. Before it said something would guard our hearts and our minds, it said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and... Like there's going to be a result. Your mind and your heart will be in the steel trap of the peace of God. Are you starting to get how important this is? Do you think it could work? Do you have faith to believe this could work? Do you have faith to believe that the peace of God, which is bigger than your logic, could actually work for your anxiety? But a question that comes up often is, well, pastor, this is a good idea, but how do I pray? <laughs> and so I think we need to talk a little bit uh, about what it is to pray to God. Does that make sense? So th this portion is going to be just hugely practical as if you were in a, a class or something like that. So uh, one of the first things about praying to God uh, simply is that we can address him as father. So we go to our father, and, and we learn this uh, from Jesus. The disciples in the New Testament came to Jesus and they said, hey, could you teach us how to pray? 
And in Jesus' master class called the Lord's Prayer, he, he first said, you know what? Refer to God as Father, our Father. So you can refer to him as God, as Father. The second thing that I would uh, say is close prayer in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Now, this kind of reminds me of how we talk to each other using cell phones. Uh, some of you have uh, a lot of different uh, carriers. You can have AT&T. Don't recommend that. Uh, you can have Verizon. Uh, you can have uh, T-Mobile, Sprint, all these kind of things. Um, and, and that's one way to carry your message, bounce it off a satellite to someone else, right? Um, what God reveals through Scripture is that there's really only one carrier for prayer. I want you to consider 1 Timothy where it says, There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Do you know our access to God is in the name of Jesus? He is that singular carrier and why we have the ear of our Father. And then finally, rely on the Holy Spirit. The Bible reveals that if you are in Christ, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to prayer, something amazing happens with the Spirit inside of us. In Romans it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So maybe you think, you know, I didn't do it right or I got it wrong. The Spirit can be your translator, interpreting your heart and your words to God. You know, some of our experience doesn't help us with the comfortability of prayer. Some of you might have grown up like me in a, a traditional church, which is really good. But you remember some of the high and prayers you could have heard? Oh, our Father, El Shaddai, we beseech thee, hear thy supplication of thine servant. Right? So sometimes we say, well, if I can't pray that way with the these and the thous, maybe I can't pray at all. And so sometimes my experience, even as pastor, is, Pastor, you know, could you pray? I don't want to pray because obviously you know how to do it. I want to tell you, you know how to do it. Your prayers are just as valid as a pastor's prayer. You have just as tight of a pipeline through Christ Jesus. You know, another way to look about it is to understand that our Father sees all of his children as different. Have you ever noticed that about kids? They're all made completely different. Some of you parents do. I'll give you a story on that. Um, our kids go back to school, but every year before they do, we have a daddy-daughter day. And uh, the days are completely different for both Bella and Nadia. For Bella, it's a restaurant. She loves food. And so we went to Greek islands and had Saga Naki Opa. Yeah, that was great. For Nadia, a little bit different. Nadia is Sky Zone, right, Nadia? And we jump, and I look goofy, and we have a great time, right? Bella would never go to Sky Zone. Nadia, I'm not sure. Well, you'd probably like Saganaki, but anyway, you'd like Sky Zone more. And they're drastically different in both approach and how they talk to Dad and how they relate to Dad, and I know that. If I know that as a father, doesn't your Heavenly Father know exactly how you're made? Isn't he okay with that? You don't have to press God with your prayers. He, he knows your level of education, your speech patterns. He knows if you like to use a lot of words and, and finally get to the point at the end of it. And he knows if you're short and sweet. Hear me, God, this is it. He, he knows all of it, and he's okay with it. In fact, when it comes to prayer, this is what you, know, you should know. 
That prayer is simply talking to the Father who loves and knows you. And because each of us can do it, a reminder again, we will have our prayer leaders going forward. Because another person's prayer is just as valid as a pastor's prayer, and it's powerful. But how would the world look different if we caught on to this? How would our families look different? If a husband went home and said, you know, I know I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to put that away and I'm praying with my wife. Wives, would that be a good thing? Or what if members did that and say, Pastor, you know what, I know we're going to meet together. You can leave, but I'm going to close. Would that be a good thing for a church to do as we pray together? What if we went into the community and we got so comfortable with prayer that when we met people and they were having a hard time, we just paused and said, can I pray for you right now? Because, you know, even atheists will say, "I I want your prayer. Would that change things? I believe so. Be anxious for nothing. You know, I know we deal with a lot of anxiety today. But I love this series. I love this thought. I want you to come back for the next weeks and the next weeks to hear more on anxiety. Anxious for nothing. Those were the words from Philippians. And they're the words that sound like this in the Greek. Marianate maiden. And I considered that second one. Maiden, maiden, maiden. And I said it really fast. Maiden, maiden, maiden. And it kind of sounds like mayday, doesn't it? Mayday, mayday, maiden, maiden, mayday, 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 maiden. Right? And, and so what I hear in prayer God says, don't be anxious for a mayday. When you pray to me, it eliminates the worst day. It eliminates any distress call as you cast that care on me. I encourage you, friends, to do just that. And may the peace of God be the prison warden. May he lock up your heart and your mind like a steel trap. Guard it so that nothing can enter it and you will be at peace In the name of Jesus, amen.